So our passage comes to us from the Gospel of Jesus according to Matthew, chapter 27, verses 1 through 10. Matthew, chapter 27, verses 1 through 10. And you can find it on the top of your sermon notes as well. Although it's great to hear the pages of Bibles rustling. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put them to death, put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed, and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priests, taking the pieces of silver, said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury, since it is blood money. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. May God bless this reading of his word. Let's pray one more time. Father in heaven, as Elias said earlier, we're standing on holy ground because you are teaching us through your word and by the power of the Holy Spirit what you desire us to know and love about Jesus, our Savior. Lord Jesus, we long to see you. Father in heaven, we give all glory and thanks to you. And Holy Spirit, we call on you to help us to see hard truths. Because un until we see those hard things, we cannot get to the good things that we absolutely desperately need in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Be with me and help me to effectively preach your good news now, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we continue in our series in the Gospel of Jesus Christ according to Matthew, not too much longer now, right? We're on chapter 27. And we come now to the third and last sermon on Judas, the tragic end of the betrayer of his friend, Jesus. And it's tempting to read this and think, he had it coming. Anyone hear news? So read in the paper, someone got killed, someone got caught, you know, just someone, something terrible happened to someone and you thought, had it coming, and you kind of smile. Have you ever read this passage in the Bible like that? You know, there's a sense of justice that's satisfied when someone gets what's coming to them, isn't there? I remember reading about the making of the 1996 movie Independence Day. Remember that with Will Smith, Jeff Goldblum, so Bill Pullman. I like Bill Pullman. And, uh, and they, they had to change the ending as they were doing the movie because the test audiences wanted the enemy aliens to suffer more, right? So, you know, just, so I get that. Don't we all get this idea? But we miss what the gospel is telling us if th we think this was written just to let us know 
how Judas ended as he, de- as he deserved. We need to learn from this powerful passage, passage, lest we or our loved ones repeat Judas's mistakes in his grieving. As we use Scripture as our guide to interpret Scripture, we see what Paul has written about grief that Pastor John read earlier from 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And so we see where Judas's grief wound up, just brought him to, and where he wound up. And Judas got three things wrong, and those are the points of the sermon. Three things are he got wrong. Judas changed the wrong thing. He turned to the wrong fix, and he went to the wrong tree. And we can't afford to get any of these three wrong. So the first point, Judas changed the wrong thing. In verse 3, it says, Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind. And we have to slow down and think, wait, what was Judas thinking was going to happen when he betrayed Jesus over to the religious leaders? So was he just, oh man, now it's just seller's remorse. I I can't believe I sold Jesus out. That would be pretty stupid of Judas. But if you look at where the leaders are plotting to kill Jesus, it's actually separated in text from Judas. Sorry, should I correct this? So separated from Judas um, just and his company. So he might not have been around when the religious leaders actually said, all right, we're going to kill him. We're going to kill that Jesus. We just need a way to do it. Then Judas comes along as a patsy, And remember, just one of our theories is that Judas was a zealot, and he wanted the rise up, rising of the Jewish people to throw off the bonds of the oppressors, to get rid of the Romans. All right, the Jews are for the Jews, like uh, C.S. Lewis wrote in the, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, Last Battle, the dwarves are for the dwarves. And Judas wanted that, but he might have still loved Jesus and just wanted to sideline him, that the religious leaders would discredit Jesus, or at least take him off the board, so that we wouldn't go down this route of, oh, let's just submit to authorities, and let's just wait for the coming of the kingdom, which isn't a military kingdom, but let us serve one another. Judas didn't want that, but maybe he didn't want Jesus dead. But here, when he saw that Jesus was condemned, and he saw what was happening. Then he changed his mind. So again, he might have been under the misguided hope that they were just going to stop him. But then when, they, when he saw that their intent was to kill him, he knew that Jesus was going to let them. Right? Didn't uh, Jesus say in Matthew 20, 18, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Now, Judas wouldn't have understood that last part, but he would have understood that Jesus was willing to go and die. Which puts Judas in a pickle. 
And he, we see that in what he says in verse 4. He says, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. Now, that's not just a statement saying, oh, I have remorse now over what I've done. He's actually citing Old Testament law. He is guilty of something, and it's bad. Deuteronomy 27, 25 says, Cursed, cursed be anyone who takes a bribe to shed innocent blood. And all the people shall say, Amen. As if to just punctuate it, that this is bad. Lying is bad. But when you lie and take a bribe, that's worse. But when you lie and take a bribe that leads to someone dying, you're, you're hosed. Game over. And this is the trap that Judas is in now. And when it says that he changed his mind, it's not that he repented. It wasn't a change of heart, which would be metaneo, uh, metanoeo, which is the word that's often used in the New Testament for repentance. A changing of heart, a changing, turning from sin and what is evil and turning toward God and what is good. No, this is the word metamalathias, met I got it yesterday, and my Greek, my Greek is rusty, all right? So it's another word that can simply talk about a changing of someone's mind. So we're seeing grief, we're seeing regret, we're seeing remorse, but we're not seeing a changed heart. Judas is still thinking about himself, and it's the consequences of his actions that he is regretting. Now, I think Peter is going to be a very useful contrast for us the rest of this passage as well. Because Peter also betrayed Jesus, didn't he? Peter also lied about knowing Jesus. And Judas actually broke a law, bringing a curse on himself. Peter called a curse down on himself. In Mark 14, 71, it says, but he, Peter, began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, that means to swear by God, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And so it's at least perjury, right? But also betrayal. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Right? Matthew doesn't record that part, but Mark does. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. And here we go. That's the difference. Not that Peter wept and Judas didn't. It's not about tears. Lest you think that it's an emotional experience that is the evidence of repentance. In fact, in Rock of Ages, don't we sing, so not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal, no respite, no. Could my tears forever flow. All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. See, it's not that Peter wept and Judas didn't, but Peter's tears showed that he grieved not any circumstances or consequences on himself. He wasn't going to go and to jail. He wasn't going to be in trouble the way that Judas was. He grieved that he sinned against his loving Lord and friend. So there is a difference there in his weeping bitterly. But even tears of grief do not produce repentance. Peter doing this, this was not repentance. But both Judas and Peter got something right that we all need to acknowledge. 
We need to say, I have sinned and am deserving of death. See, a person with a terminal illness can't get healthy until they admit they're dying. We cannot be given freedom from sin and death until we can first acknowledge that we are slaves to sin and dead in our transgressions. Brothers and sisters, do you grieve your sin? Believing like David that the most important thing about it is that against you and you only have I sinned, O Lord. That we have offended and betrayed the loving God who only ever deserved our love and faithfulness. See, confession of sin has to begin with asking the Holy Spirit to see our sin and to hate it because in our sin we rejected our God. And we need to do this daily as we ask our Father in heaven to forgive us our sins. We need to grieve our sin in our hearts, but then we need to turn somewhere to be fixed, to be made whole, because we can't do it ourselves. But, point two, Judas turned to the wrong fix. Where did he go? The passage says, And he brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and to the elders. It kind of makes sense, right? Hey, maybe the money was precious to them like it was kind of precious to him. Maybe if he returns it, gets a call of a mulligan, all right? All right, so it's like, hey, everything's forgiven. Maybe he can slow, the, uh, stop the train. Maybe the leaders will stop it if he just comes back and brings it back. James Boyce says that what Judas was trying to do is what many people try to do in one way or another. He was trying to make atonement for his sin. But he could not do so for the simple reason that no mere man can do so. Only one person in the entire universe can make atonement, and that is Jesus Christ, who though he is man is also more than man. He is the God-man. And it is only by his shed blood that his atonement is made for any sin. But you have to... You have to forgive Judas for his misconception that he could go anywhere to try to atone for his sin. It makes sense, being raised Jewish, that he would go to the temple, he would go to the religious leaders and ask for them their help because they would know what jam that he is in. In fact, uh, let's not forget, they were the reason for the jam that he is in. They paid him to betray Jesus so that they could hand Jesus over to death. And so he goes saying, do you see what problem? I'm in this trouble. You're in this trouble. We're all in this trouble. We're all cursed. And so their words to him would have been horrifying, terrifying to him. They should be horrifying to us. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. What? It's like telling someone with a brain tumor to cut it out yourself. All right? Let's, like, you know that uh, movie line, you know, you had one job when someone failed at doing one job, like just being the lookout. You had one job. This is their one job. If we had to reduce what the religious leaders in the Jewish uh, faith, just what their responsibility is, it was to make atonement for God's people. Their highest holy day is Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. It's a big deal for them. And for them to callously say, we don't care. 
would have been a nightmare to Judas. In fact, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, actually talks about this as being the job of the high priest. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. And he, this high priest, can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weaknesses. The fact that the high priest was a sinner was supposed to make him sympathize with the plight of other sinners. Sean O'Donnell actually wrote, We almost wish Judas would have answered their question, What is that to us? by saying, Everything in the world! You're the chief priest! You have the power to reconvene the Sanhedrin, to retry Jesus, to let me testify that I was wrong, and then allow me into the temple to make a sin offering to atone for my sin. God's people, let alone God's priests, are to love mercy. But these men hated it. So Judas is trapped. And this little real estate transaction that we read about, because just before jumping after uh, Judas hangs himself, what are the chief priests? This is how little they cared. Their question is, what do we do with this money? Right? It's blood money. And think of the hypocrisy of that statement. The blood money was just a prop. It's blood money because they had handed someone unlawfully, illegally, over to death. They're not concerned about what God thinks about that, but they're concerned about what God thinks about the money. They were concerned, so concerned about a proper audit trail to make sure this blood money wasn't admitted into the temple treasury. And it shows that there might have been money in the treasury, but they were bankrupt in their hearts. And ironically, what they said, what is that to us? Foreshadowed that they were not the place of atonement, where atonement for sins to God would be made anymore. So they're condemning themselves. And so, again, we see where Judas turned and where that got him. But let's take a moment and think about where Peter turned. And we have to infer some things, but we know Peter went to, be, to his friends, don't we? Because when Mary and the ladies came on Sunday, resurrection morning, they found Peter with his friends. He could have been embarrassed, ashamed, and never wanted to see any of them ever again for it. Shame works like that. Shame isolates you. Shame puts you away, and shame makes you want to push others away. But instead, Peter went to the ones who would remind him of Jesus. And what would they remind him of? Maybe Thomas would say, Peter, you only betrayed him three times. But when you asked Jesus if it, was a, if it was enough to forgive someone of the same sin seven times, he said, 70 times seven. And maybe Andrew would say, and Jesus said you would betray him, even said how many times you would do it. It was no surprise to him. He still loved you. And remember, 
Maybe Matthew would say, and remember how he said, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Do you see the difference? Judas turned to his efforts and to others and to the law to fix things, but could only fail. Peter turned to others who would show him Jesus, and grief, his grief, moves toward repentance. Because unlike the high priests and elders Judas went to, we have Jesus, our great high priest. And instead of saying, what is your sin to me? Romans 8.34 says, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed is interceding for us. Even still, even now. Where do you turn for your fix? Because we're all problem solvers. We're all fixers. Do you find yourself gravitating toward people who shallowly make you feel better about yourself? Who join you in ignoring sin that should be grieved? Do you stay to yourself, isolate, thinking that there is no help to be found? Please don't do either in our church. All right, join a home fellowship group, a discipleship group. Come out to prayer meetings, sermon response. Bring kids to Friday night Awana to my high and find people who love you enough to call you on your crap, tell you it stinks and reminds you that there is redemption for you in Christ. And they will help you avoid this final mistake of Judas. Point three, Judas went to the wrong tree. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. Now, there's more going, just like there's been more going on at every part of Judas's thinking, there's also more going on here than simply him saying, just, I'm depressed, there's no hope, let me off myself. See, Judas, again, knew the Old Testament law. And in Deuteronomy 21, 22, and 23, it says, And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Now, he had no, he had no ability to change anything about how long he was going to hang for, and it looks like, considering what Acts says, Acts says that his, uh, that his gut spilled out, so Acts 1.18, that, uh, now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out and became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, Akildama, that is field of blood. Now, my understanding of human anatomy and just uh, rigor and all of that is that your guts don't fall out of you on the first day that you die. So he probably was hanging there for a while. And the Jewish leaders who should not have allowed defiling of God's land, certainly not in Jerusalem, again fell down on the job. But the part that Judas would have read is, a hanged man is cursed by God. And again, he is cursed, isn't he? Because he lied and took a bribe that resulted in someone's death. Dan Doriani says that there's another law that applies, not just the curse on, 
on Judas, to remove such blood guilt, the guilty party must pay for his crime by his own death. In Numbers 35, Judas took his, took his life in an anguished attempt to atone for his guilt. Now, this lesson is vital. Judas feels terrible, but he doesn't take his sin to the Lord. Because he doesn't do that, he's forced to take it on himself. And this is tragic. It's an extreme case of man-made religion. A desperate attempt to save oneself. But it's an extension of the common tendency in godless religions to do something, anything to make atonement for sin. And sadly, individual Christians can fall into the same mentality. Judas was trying to make things either right, knowing that he couldn't, or he was just trying to make his physical reality accurately reflect his spiritual and eternal reality. Hanging made sense. He was rejected by God and the covenant community. And since he wouldn't look to Christ in faith, he saw no hope and only eternal damnation. So there was the tree. And so we have to feel sorry for Judas. Because the tree Judas hung himself on is representative of the curse of sin that we all fall under apart from Christ. The destiny that we all deserve. So it's a tree of judgment, of wrath that waits for us all. Unless. Unless. Unless Jesus beats us to it. There's a tree. There's still a tree. And there's a price of wrath that must be paid. But Jesus was willing to pay for us on his tree, the cross. The sinless one who had no cross took ours and bore it all the way to Calvary. The first tree produces death and rejection. But this second one brings life and dismantles the curse. That's what Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Do you see what happened there? Jesus was our substitute. Someone had to hang on the tree. It should have been us. But Jesus did instead. Parents, if you're looking to explain this to your kids, I highly recommend you read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe with your kids because the stone table is the cross that Edmund and everyone deserves, that Aslan went to. It's a great way to explain it to your children. I delighted in explaining it to Abby that way. And so Judas went to his own tree, but look where Peter went. Again, he went to be with his friends, remembering Jesus. And then when the women came on Sunday saying Jesus was risen, Peter ran to, into the tomb looking for Jesus. And then when Jesus showed up on the shore, Peter threw himself off the boat into the sea to get to Jesus. Do we see where Peter's heart is? 
because real repentance is grieving and turning from your sin and turning to Jesus Christ in faith. The cross of Christ is the only thing that atones for sins, and he invites us to come. In Jesus Christ, the tree of wrath becomes a tree of life for us instead. And we know that Peter got this lesson. We know because he wrote in 1 Peter 2.24, He, Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Do you hear any regret at all in Peter's words? No, you don't. Because he knows he is forgiven. And the one who is forgiven much loves much. That's a lesson he learned too. We who are in Christ still need to fight the dangers of self-redemption. People constantly wonder, did I do everything right? Did I live a good life? And then they ask when bad things happen, why is this happening to me? Haven't I lived a good life? Why am I in so much pain? Why do I have so much shame and guilt? Or if you escape from something, when I get out, I'm going to change. I'm going to fix my life. And when you are tempted to fall into that line of thinking, you're being tricked by the world because the world can only offer self-redemption, which leads to Judas's hopelessness. You don't have to do that. You have Jesus. And you, my dear friends, who have not yet trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we're so thankful that you're here. And we pray for you. You don't have to be sitting where you are listening to this sermon about mistakes and condemnation. But if you haven't trusted Jesus yet, this message is for you. Because if all this is true and the only responses are either Judas's or Peter's, which do you want to make? And it's our prayer that you look to the cross of Christ and ask yourself that question because we all need to repent and turn to the blood and sing of that blood that we will be singing of. Charles Spurgeon closes it this way. The more you try to produce repentant emotions in yourself, the more you will be disappointed but if you believingly think of Jesus dying for you, repentance will burst forth. See where the start is? It's not in you. It's looking to the cross. Meditate on the Lord shedding his heart's blood out of love to you. Set before your mind's eye the agony and bloody sweat, the cross and passion. And as you do, as you do this, he who was the bearer of all this grief will look at you, and with that look, he will do for you what he did for Peter, so that you also will go out and weep bitterly. He who died for you can, by his gracious spirit, make you die to sin. And he who has gone into glory on your behalf can draw your soul after him, away from evil and toward his holiness. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your great love for us in sending our Savior, your Son, to be our Savior. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace to us. 
living that life we should have lived and dying that death on the cross that we should have died and inviting us to repentance, to lay down these chains. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for showing us Jesus, for opening the eyes of our hearts so that we see Jesus and believingly we repent. We thank you that this is what we get to do so that our grief leads to salvation without regret. Help us rejoice in this salvation and we pray it for all those that we meet, come into contact with and share your gospel with. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And now let's